Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our Risen Hope Church Sunday afternoon virtual worship experience. My name is Tim Shorey, one of the pastors of Risen Hope, and it's my privilege to open up God's Word uh, for us this afternoon in this hour of trial and crisis. It is good to have a word from God, a word that is sure a word that is certain, a word that is absolute and trustworthy, that abides forever. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And I'm going to read this entire psalm so that we can catch the, the message in full as one part. This is a psalm written by Moses, most likely in the latter stages of the people of Israel's wandering in the wilderness, where a whole generation has passed away. And Moses, in his grief and in his sorrow and in his fear, turns his thoughts to the Lord. And he writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you who are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, we come to you now and ask you, Lord, we plead with you by your Spirit, to open your Word to our hearts. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear assurances of your love. Help us to hear holy warnings and admonitions also of your love. Lord, teach us, teach us 
Teach us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the third of a four-part series that we're doing in Psalm 90 in this season of trial that we find ourselves in. This psalm is about our mortality up against the vast, endless, majestic backdrop of the immortality and eternality of God. And as our mortality quickly sets in, as we become more and more aware of it, even as we are in these days, we must consider, the psalmist teaches us, we must consider carefully the place we live, the God we trust, and the prayers we offer. As our mortality quickly sets in, we must consider carefully the place we live, the God we trust, and the prayers we offer. According to this psalm, a psalm that is in keeping with all human experience, and a psalm that is consistent with our current global situation, we are mortal. There is a very real sense of vulnerability, and yes, even fear as we face our own mortality because our mortality, our passing from this life is a certain thing. It's as certain as the dawn, whether it's through death or through the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will pass from this life into the next. One of the things that we humans have done pretty well at in recent generations is we have hidden from this reality. We have hidden this reality from our vision, from our thoughts. And we have tended to believe that ongoing life is, is a right. It's, it's almost a sure thing so long as we can get the right treatment or the right medicine for it. In a recent book, Matthew McCullough has written, for all that it has given us, modern medicine has enabled a powerful, pervasive self-deception. The truth is, death is no less universal now than it has ever been. Death is not a disease to be eliminated. It is the inevitable end of every human life, People don't die because medicine failed them. They die because they're human. We are mortals. And when disease and death remind, come into our lives, into our consciousness, it reminds us of our mortality. And as uncomfortable as it is and unsettling as it is, it is good for us to be reminded of our mortality. Not so that we become morbid or macabre, but so that we can become alert and focused and centered on what matters most in life. As our mortality quickly sets in, we must consider carefully 
the place we live, the God we trust, and the prayers we offer. In the first message, we looked at the first of those. We must consider carefully the place we live. We must not live at 666 Coronavirus Drive, but rather let us live at number one, the Lord is our dwelling place road. We must carefully consider the God we trust. Let's make sure that the God we believe in, the God we trust, is the God of Psalm 90, the true and the living God who is from everlasting to everlasting, an eternal person who is the almighty creator, and he is the author and sustainer of our lives. Let's consider carefully the God in whom we trust. And, and today and next week, we need to consider carefully the prayers we offer. We need to make sure that in our current encounter with mortality and vulnerability and uncertainty in life, we need to make sure that our prayers are focused on what should be most urgent and most important in our lives. This is what Moses did in his experience of mortality and vulnerability. He started with thoughts about God and made sure that he was dwelling in God who is eternal, who is our creator, who is the author and sustainer of his life. And then he turned from those thoughts of his mortality and his thoughts about God, he turned to prayer. Surely that is what we must do as well. And this week and next week, there are five prayer requests that Moses offers that I want us to reflect on together. The first, Lord, teach us to number our days and to live wisely. The second, Lord, forgive us our sins by your mercy. The third, Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love and lasting joy. Number four, Lord, show us what you are doing. And then number five, Lord, establish the work that you have for us to do. Let's look at the first two of those today. First, Lord, teach us to number our days, and to live wisely. Look at verse 12, where this is the plain request that Moses offers. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We are, we are reminded in these days of, of calamity and trial and disease, we are reminded of the vulnerability and the uncertainty of our lives. But at the end of the day, we remember that it is not us. We do not keep ourselves alive. God keeps us alive, and God has set a number. There is literally, very literally, a number of days that is appointed for us. And it is good that we think on this that we reflect on this. In Psalm 144 and verse 4, man is like a breath. 
His days are like a passing shadow. In Proverbs 27, in verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Solomon, the, the author of the Proverbs, is saying to us, we need to live with a conscious awareness of our mortality. In James 4, in verse 14, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is rebuking our presumption and our assumptions that we have a tomorrow or a day after tomorrow or a next year in our lives. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, because the Lord is the one who sets the number for our days. So in Psalm 39, O Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days like a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing to you. Lord, this is something we need to learn. Lord, this is something we need to grasp. Teach us this, O Lord. Teach us to number our days. But Moses, why do you want to be able to number your days. Why do you want to learn this truth? He says that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. We will not seek wisdom. We will not seek the right way to live. We will not seek God's will for our lives. We will not seek what is holy and wise and good unless we have been taught first to number our days. And to realize that our days are short and to realize that our life here in this body is but a fraction of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of our whole existence. And so we need wisdom to live the few and fleeting days that we have. To live them rightly. Which is why Solomon in Ecclesiastes writes this mysterious couple of verses in chapter 7. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. What a strange word. In essence, Solomon is saying it's better to go to a funeral home than to a party. Because this will be taken to heart the living will consider it. We will remember our Creator before the dust returns to the earth as it was and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. This is living in the light of our mortality. Can I say it? There, there, there is nothing that will add more zeal or zest to your life and mine than having a calm and a steady 
awareness that our life is short. It is as we consider that our life is short that zeal for God and zest for life increase. Zeal to live for the glory of God by serving the mission of the gospel, by living a life of principled obedience and faithful purity and courageous holiness and neighbor love and true justice. Zeal to live for God in His glory will grow right now, here and now, because we know our life is short. And zest will grow as well. We, we will learn to seize each day as a gift from God. We will learn to grab hold of each gift that God gives to us as if it might be the last that we have. And we will enjoy it with gratitude and praise. When we live with a sense of the brevity of life, we will live with zeal for God and zest and joy in our lives. It is good for us to number our days. And... The circumstances of these days and weeks and months are teaching us this. That life is precious. That life is vulnerable. That we are mortal. And in this, we learn wisdom. The first request Moses makes is, Lord, teach us to number our days and to live wisely. Request number two. Lord, forgive us our sins by your mercy. Lord, forgive us our sins by your mercy. I don't know if you noticed it, but as I read the psalm earlier, we see that Moses had, in his, with his heightened awareness of his mortality, he had at the same time a heightened awareness of his and his people's sin and God's wrath and anger over that sin. So we read, beginning in verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Down to verse 12. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. It's important for us as we journey through this life, as we journey through this experience, it's, it's important for us to make sure that we take this or notice this connection between mortality and sin and wrath and forgiveness. I know that there are many, or at least there have been in the last couple of weeks, many folks who are not a part of Risen Hope Church who have been... Uh, tuning in to, to watch this service. And, and one of the concerns I have with that 
it's great to have you, but one of my concerns is that uh, you, you won't know the context in which we preach and what is the, the regular week-in, week-out diet of God's people here. And so a message like this might fall hard on your ears, and it might be difficult to, to grasp it and to hear thoughts of God's anger and God's wrath may feel out of place and inappropriate, but please, please hear me out. Please hear me out. First of all, we we need to make sure we understand what we mean by the anger and the wrath of God. What we do not mean is what you experienced with your spouse earlier this week or with your children sometime this week. What we do not mean is what you experience when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. We do not mean that kind of wrath, that kind of anger. The wrath of God is not impulsive. It's, it's not vindictive. It's not hateful. It's not reactive. The wrath of God is his justice. It is the display of what is just toward our sins. The, the wrath and anger of God is simply God's just, His holy, His proportionate displeasure and punishment over sin. It is the cosmic judicial process by which God assesses us and our lives and our sins, and He measures our guilt, and He measures our disobedience, and He apportions an absolutely fair and just consequence for those sins. And Moses says, as he thinks about the experiences of his own life and mortality, Moses says, this makes me think of my iniquities, my sins. And God, it makes me think of your just and holy wrath. You see, in Scripture, sin and mortality go together. If you go way back to the beginning of time when God made Adam and Eve, they were without sin and therefore without death, but they sinned. And in the words of Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. On the day you eat of it, God said to Adam, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day you disobey me, you will surely die. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins, it shall die. Now, please don't misunderstand. This does not mean that everyone who gets sick and dies does so because he or she is especially sinful or more sinful than anyone else. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to deny that teaching. But what it does mean is that in those moments when we're confronted with our mortality, we should stop to think about our sin. What it does mean is that in moments like this, it is a part of wisdom. It is a part of humility for us to take a look at our own hearts and essentially to ask the question, am I ready to die? Am I ready to meet my God? In a season like this, is it not at least appropriate for us to ask the question, 
Do I need to repent? Do I need to ask God for his mercy? We need to ask that personally. I need to ask that question. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. And would I want to stand before God next week based on how I've lived this past week or how I've lived my life? Are there sins of which I need to repent? Is there selfishness or pride or greed or gossip or false witness or rage or bigotry or prejudice or injustice or immorality in any form? I need to ask the question as I become conscious of my mortality. Churches need to do this. I was reminded this week of Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, pronounces discipline and judgment on various churches in the day toward the end of the first century. And, and they were disciplined and they were rebuked and they were corrected because they had lost their first love because they had been very busy about many things, but not personally devoted to Christ. Churches need to take this time and say, are there any things we need to repent of? Are we loving our God as we should? Are we worshiping Christ as he deserves? Are, are we being ruled and governed by God's most holy word? Or are we following current opinion and popular ideas? Are, are we willing to walk out of step with the world because we are walking in step with God? Are we as churches, based on the number of people who have been viewing this, I assume that there are many churches represented by the viewers. Are our churches walking faithfully? In a season like this, it is good for us to consider our own hearts, to become aware of our own sins. How about at a national and cultural level? Are there any things as a nation, as a world, that need to be repented of? Is this a moment when God is saying, please pay attention? Please pay attention. As I think about our world today, I, it seems to me like there are two great human idols in our generation. The first is health and the second is wealth. And it's ironic, but perhaps a divine intentional purpose that our present crisis is threatening both of those idols, our health and our wealth. And perhaps the Lord is saying to us, I am calling you to repentance. I am calling you to return to me. Perhaps the Lord is warning us. No wonder Moses prayed the prayer he prayed in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Moses pleads for mercy. He pleads for forgiveness. He wants to experience God's compassion and God's 
pardon. He wants to be right with God. He wants the sins and their punishment to be over. And he wants forgiveness from God. This is the most important thing that you and I should be thinking about right now. Our greatest concern should not be how to beat the coronavirus. Our greatest concern should be, how do I have my sins forgiven? How can I be pardoned? How can I experience the mercy and the grace of God? Because Lord, oh Lord, if you should mark iniquity. Oh Lord, who could stand? Lord, if we personally and individually, if we as churches, if we as nations, if you were to count against us all our sins, then Lord, what hope would we have? But the psalmist goes on to write, there is forgiveness with you. There is forgiveness with you. Oh, you see, this, this message ultimately is not a, a one about fear and dread. Ultimately, it's about grace and mercy. It, it is a reminder, yes, the Lord sends moments into our lives when we are made to reflect, we are made to feel and sense our vulnerability and our mortality, but it's so that we will think about our need for Him. And we will think about our sins and our need for grace. And as I was, I was talking this week, uh, with Gaylene about some of these thoughts, and she reminded me that this was not the only time in Moses' life when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and dying there. It wasn't the only time he faced mortality and faced the death of people around him. In Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9, we, we read in that chapter about the people of God sinning against the Lord and the Lord sending fiery serpents or serpents into the camp. And it says in verses 8 and 9, the Lord said to Moses, after Moses had interceded for the people, because the people were dying, and Moses prays, Lord have mercy. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he, that person, would look at the bronze serpent up on a pole and live. He would look and live. Look and live. My friends, that is a simple, beautiful picture of faith. We need to look and live. You say, well, where are we to look? Certainly not at a bronze serpent on a pole. That was just a picture, just an image, just a foreshadowing. Jesus tells us where we are to look. In John chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through 
Him. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, so must Jesus be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You see, this is what faith does. Faith does not try to work to somehow redeem ourselves. Faith does not try harder in order to get it right. Faith does not put in all this effort and hope somehow or other to, to push God's judgment away. No, faith looks and lives. It looks to the cross. It looks to Christ. It realizes that Jesus died on the cross to take away the guilt and the shame and the punishment we deserved for our sin. It looks to Christ and it lives. So in this, in this hour of trial, in this hour of fear and vulnerability, let us not waste this hour. Let us, let us learn to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. And let us learn to be aware of our sins, aware of God's holiness, aware of God's wrath, and then more than anything, aware of His love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, not a serpent on a pole, but the eternal Son of God on a cross. He gave His Son that you and I would be able simply to look away from ourselves and away from our sins and away from God's wrath and away from His judgment and just look at Christ and know that in Him there is forgiveness of all of our sins. And then, then we will be ready for whatever comes next. So many people today are asking the question, am I going to die? The better question is, am I ready to die? Have I placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? When we have done that, we will not only be prepared to die, we will have reason to live. And to live for His glory and to live for His honor, to live with zeal, to live with zest, to live for the pleasure and for the honor of our God and our Father and our Redeemer and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're hearing these words, this message, and have never Put your own personal faith and trust in Christ. Now is the time to do it. Right where you are, in your living room, just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me. I'm a sinner. And I know that one day, one day I'm going to pass from this life into the next. And I want to be ready for that day. And Lord, I want to live for you here and now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you please teach us to number our days that we would apply our hearts to wisdom. And would you please forgive us our sins by your mercy that we might be prepared for anything that might come 
that we might be full of zeal and zest for your glory in this life and in the life to come. In Jesus' name.